Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As mentioned at the start of the service, we are continuing with our sermon series, Most Likely To. This is week four of five weeks. We've taken a look at these Bible characters to see how God directs lives for good. Topic for our consideration today, the person is Samson, one of the judges in the book of Judges. And as we take a look at this story today, the story of Samson, what we'll use as our theme is that he's most likely to bring down the house. I realize I took some liberties that you're probably not going to find that phrase in any of uh, high school yearbooks. But the idea maybe would be along the lines of someone who is either really funny, someone who can bring down the house with laughter, or, or maybe someone who is a little bit destructive. I know that there are probably moms out there, happy Mother's Day to all our mothers, who have said you have to stop roughhousing or you're going to bring down the house. Today, quite literally, Samson brings down the house. Yet a little bit more accurately, I suppose we could say he brings down the temple, the temple of a false god, delivering God's people. Maybe if you have lived a few years like I have, and you are a resident of Wisconsin lifelong, the name Samson invokes, evokes other memories for you. You see, a few years back, there was a gorilla at the Milwaukee County Zoo who for two decades was really the draw that brought people to the Milwaukee County Zoo. The gorilla's name was Samson. And for a couple of decades, as people came to watch him, they were entertained by some of his antics. And yet he was a little bit scary as well, weighing 625 pounds. We're told that at least four times he broke the glass of his enclosure. Samson's strength was obvious. It got me to thinking just a little bit about the Samson in the Bible. We know that he was strong. The Bible lists his feats of strength. But I wonder, was Samson, did he look strong? Did he, did he look like he should be as strong as he was? Is it possible that Samson's strength was a mystery, that people wanted to find out the secret because he didn't look like someone who could be that strong? Since the Bible doesn't give us a physical description of Samson, we can't answer that question. But here's one thing we do know about Samson. His strength went to his head. And yet even through someone like Samson, God had deliverance for the people Israel. And so today, as we take a look at the story of Samson as the most likely to bring down the house, let's ask ourselves this question. We're going to look at chapter verses from chapters 14 to 16 of Judges, and we'll ask this question, where is your trust? And we'll note that, first of all, it can't be. It's not in our own strength, but only in the salvation that God gives. Take a look at this map. It'll give you an idea of where most of the events of the final chapters, uh, the, the chapters about Samson's life in Judges all kind of center. Uh, if you take a look right in the middle of the map, the Zora, the city right in the middle, that is very near to where Samson was born. If you let your eyes wander just a little bit to the left or to the west, you'll see the city called Timnah. That's where Samson found his first wife. And then if you go all the way to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and follow to the south, you'll find the city of Gaza. And that's where Samson's life ended, in that temple to Dagon. 
Perhaps just a little bit of background leading into the story of Samson. If you get a chance this week, read chapter 13 and we'll give you all of this background. We're told that Samson's mother, who is unnamed in scripture, was a barren woman. Do you find it remarkable how many times in scripture God delivers children to couples when the woman is described as barren? Think of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah in the Old Testament, and then Elizabeth, who gave birth to John the Baptist in the New Testament. Maybe God is teaching us that children are a special blessing from him. And certainly this child was going to be a special child for Manoah and his wife. His birth was actually announced by God himself. And along with his, the specialness of this child, is some, special, some special rules came along with him. They followed under the Nazarite vow. That can be found in Numbers chapter 6. And usually that vow was taken for a short time, but for Samson, it was supposed to be for his whole life. He was not supposed to cut his hair. No razor was supposed to be used on his head. No wine or other fermented drink was supposed to touch his lips. And he wasn't supposed to touch anything unclean. No dead bodies. Why? Because God had set Samson apart for a special job. The job of overflowing, overthrowing the Philistines, who had ruled over the Israelites for 40 years, is what the first, chap, first verse of chapter 13 tells us. And so we read about this Samson, the final of the 12 judges in the book of Judges. And we're told that after he was born, God had a special purpose for him. Take a look at the final two verses of chapter 13. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. It was God's spirit that was leading Samson on the path that he needed him to go so that the people of Israel could be delivered. Well, let's jump into the story. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 18, please. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your, own, among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. In it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he, had, that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there as was customary for bridegrooms. When he appeared, he was given thirty companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty sets of clothes. 
If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. I suppose we could say these first verses of chapter 14 give us some pretty deep insight into the character of Samson and the flaws that existed in that character. He sees a woman and he wants to get married to her. As we read through this section, did you get the idea that Samson is undisciplined? And that, that discipline, that lack of discipline borders on disobedience? And yet we're told that, that even in Samson's evil intent, even in his mistakes that he made, the sins that he committed, God could act according to his good purpose. God's purpose was to confront the Philistines with this marriage. And so we read about Samson's strength in taking the lion apart with his bare hands. Some have asked, well, when he went back on a later trip and, and took the scooped the honey out of the carcass of the lion, was he breaking his Nazarite vow? The answer is yes. But it wasn't so much about outer purity that God was concerned. God wanted the outer purity of the Nazarite vow to demonstrate an inner dedication. Unfortunately, that's what Samson was sorely lacking. But he used the lion and the carcass and the honey as the basis of his riddle to pull one over, I suppose we could say, demonstrate how smart he was, how much his own mind was better than that of others. And so he tells them this riddle, out of the strong, something sweet, out of the eater, something to eat. They can't solve it. And so they press his wife to bring the solution. And when she can't, they give her threats, threats to burn her and her father to death until Samson finally gives her the answer and she in turn passes it along to them. The rest of chapter 14 records the first part of Samson's revenge. Rather than paying up and giving the 30 sets of clothing because they'd solved the riddle, he strikes down 30 Philistines and brings their clothing to the men who had solved the riddle. That will probably be the end of it, right? Samson's revenge, it'll stop there. Not even close. Have you noticed that revenge is pretty tricky to negotiate? I put two statements on the screen for you to take a look at. Don't get mad, get even. And the greatest revenge is compassion. I'm sure you've heard the first one. People talk about not getting upset with others, just make sure that you get even with them. And we have to admit that there's a part of us that kind of likes that, isn't there? We like the idea of settling scores with other people. 
But have you noticed that the score doesn't ever seem to quite get settled? Have you noticed that when somebody says something insulting to you, your first idea is how insulting can you say something back to them? Or if something posts, somebody posts something snarky online, do you then respond with something even a little bit more snarky? Have you noticed that when that happens, it usually doesn't end there, but that it continues to escalate? Yes, there's not a lot of benefit in getting even. Vengeance is mine, God says. And the second statement on the screen really comes from biblical concepts. The greatest revenge is compassion. Jesus said it this way, turn the other cheek. The Apostle Paul says, overcome evil with good. Unfortunately, that's not a lesson that Samson had mastered yet. And so let's take a look at Judges chapter 15 and see how the revenge between Samson and the Philistines escalates. We'll read verses 1 to 5 and verses 11 to 15. Later on, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you thoroughly hated her, he said, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. And jump down to verse 11 with me. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to you to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Here we see how the revenge escalated. Revenge number two involves Samson returning to his father-in-law's house and wanting to go and be with his wife. But she had already been given to somebody else. And so Samson's revenge, can you imagine this? Gathering 300 foxes, tying their tails together in pairs, and then attaching torches to their tails so that he could burn down the grain of the Philistines. When the Philistines heard about this, they burned the woman and her father to death. And so Samson, again, acted out in violence, striking down many of the Philistines. And then we get revenge number four that we read. When the people of Judah, who were concerned about what the Philistines might do to them, came to hand Samson over, they tied him up. But Samson broke free and with the jawbone of a donkey killed a thousand men. Maybe it's good to pause here just for a second. And consider the violence that it marks this entire section of Scripture. Maybe it's raised some questions in your mind. Why? First of all, why would God deliver the people of Israel through such bloodiness, through such violence? And then maybe why is an account like this in Scripture? 
I don't know exactly how to answer that question. I think it's good to start with this. Questioning God is always dangerous ground. And yet, perhaps we can give partial answers. Perhaps this demonstrates just how far the morality had sunk in the days of the judges and up to the time of Samson. Or, or maybe there's just a little bit of self-reflection that can be done here. Would you agree that we live in a society that seems to be becoming more and more violent? We don't have to look too far into the stories on the news, stories that are reflected in movies and shows and video games to see that violence is a part of our daily lives. Here's one thing we can answer for sure. God had a promise to fulfill, a promise to send his son to be our savior. And the Philistines were standing in the way of that promise. And so God demonstrates that even through someone sinful, violent like Samson, he can bring deliverance for his people. Let's continue on in chapter 16, looking at verses 1 to 6 and 15 to 22. There we read, One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Samson said to Delilah, Tell me the secret of your great strength, and how you can be tied up and subdued. And jump down to verse 15 with me, please. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you, when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me, and haven't told me the secret of your strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Once again, we see another part of the immoral character of Samson as he goes right into the heart of Philistine territory and spends part of the night with a prostitute. And yet we're also given another one of his great feats of strength. As in the middle of the night to avoid capture, he rips the city gate out of its, out of its moorings and, and lifts it up over his head. And then we're introduced to Delilah. 
The one who really is the one who gets the better of Samson once and for all. Oh, she may have loved Samson, but it's very apparent that she had a deeper love for money. And so she was promised, promised a payday if she could somehow come to the realization of what the secret of Samson's great strength was, if she could get him to reveal that secret. And here we see Samson's pride on full display again, how he thought he was smarter than everyone else, that he could simply rely on his own strength. And he toys with Delilah. Three times he tells her what is not the secret of his great strength, and three times she fails to subdue him. But then on the fourth time, almost inexplicably, he tells her that he was a Nazarite, that no razor had ever been used on his head. You see, Samson thought that one more time, in his own strength, he would be able to break free and defend himself. But the Bible has a really interesting phrase there, doesn't it? He did not know that the Lord had left him. So Samson was captured. His eyes were gouged out, and he was imprisoned. And yet, we're let in on a little bit of a foreshadowing, a symbolic foreshadowing. The hair of his head began to grow again. I'm sure you're familiar with the saying, if you play with fire, you're bound to get burned. And certainly that's true in a very literal sense. But Samson learned the truth of that from a figurative sense as well, thinking that he could continue to push Delilah off, continue to use his own strength to overcome the Philistines, and ultimately it burned him. Maybe this is a warning to us as well. Maybe there are those temptations that we find really, really difficult to resist. And maybe we play with fire from time to time, thinking to ourselves, this will be the last time. Or, I can stop any time I want. I, I know what I'm doing. I'm strong enough. There's a warning here, isn't there? That our own strength isn't good enough? That relying on our own ability to say no to sin, to walk away from temptation, is foolish? No, we need the full armor of God. We need the strength that God alone can give to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. And through Jesus, God has given us that very thing. Let's take a look at how God delivered the people of Israel through, uh, through Samson in the final verses that we'll look at today. Verses 23 to 31 of chapter 16. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and on all the people in it. 
Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. A big festival to the false god of the Philistines, Dagon, was, was set up and 3,000, over 3,000 men and women had attended to, to let people realize their loyalty, the joy they had and the victory that they believed Dagon had given to them. Little did they know that their celebration was going to come to a quick halt. They brought out Samson from the prison to have him entertain them, mocking him. But what Samson recognized is their mocking was an opportunity for him to deliver his people once and for all. He had the servant who was holding his hand direct him to the two main pillars. And then we hear Samson's prayer. Maybe one of the most spiritual things we get to see about Samson in this entire section is this prayer to God. He prays for God to strengthen him. He recognizes that strength doesn't come from himself or from his long hair, but from God alone. Samson sacrifices himself, pushing down the pillars, letting the temple come down, bringing down the house, and killing all of those there. I know that Samson doesn't seem like someone we would hold up as a, this poster boy of, the, of being a hero of faith. And yet, do you know that we get to Hebrews chapter 11, where we talk about those heroes of faith? Samson's name is listed there. Oh, his faith might have been fragile, but he still acted. He still acted in the faith that God had given him and a trust in God and his promises. So what can we take? What, what about us? What can we take from this lesson of Samson today? Maybe we don't wear our pride so brazenly like Samson did, but we all deal with pride, don't we? As we were reading through this story, did you, were you even tempted to think, well, at least my life is not as bad as, as Samson's? The devil loves to make us wallow in that pride, hold on to that pride, to believe that somehow we can do everything that we need to do by ourselves. That do-it-myself mentality certainly spills over into how we think about being right before God, too. That somehow maybe we can do just enough. We love to compare ourselves to others and say, well, if I'm not perfect, well, at least I'm better than that person. Right? The Bible warns us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we don't measure up to God's holy demands. God says that we have to keep the whole law without stumbling at one point or else we're guilty of breaking all of it. Here's the great news. Here's the joy that you and I have that we get to live every single day. Though we don't have the strength on our own to save ourselves, God has given us what we need, everything we need, exactly what we need. He has given us the greatest hero of all time, a perfect hero, the one who lived perfectly in our place. He gave us his son, Jesus, who went to the cross to make a payment for all of our sins. Talk about feats of strength. Jesus defeated Satan. He defeated sin. He defeated death by breaking out of his tomb. And his resurrection guarantees that our sins are gone. That's the big love of our Heavenly Father. He loved us so big that he gave his one and only Son to save us. 
It stands to reason with that big love that God has shown us that he's going to take care of the other things as well. Maybe there are some fears in your life right now. Maybe you worry about getting your job back. Maybe you wonder about the future of your health. Maybe you wonder if economically you're going to get back on your feet. God says, look at my big love. Hold on to my promises. And remember that in that same love that I loved you with to send my son to die for you, I'm going to graciously give you all things. Proverbs 3 verse 5 that's on the screen is a great passage to be reminded of. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Some quick takeaways from the sermon today. Number one, recognize and avoid the do-it-myself mentality. If we're honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of Samson, maybe more of Samson than we care to admit. That's a part of all of us. Number two, meditate on God's love in Jesus who swapped places with us. That's the joy that we have. We are forgiven, not by our own strength, but because the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And then finally, number three, rejoice. Rejoice that in Jesus, our salvation is already finished. There's nothing left for us to do because it's already been accomplished by Jesus. I know that people love superheroes. You don't have to look very far to see the success that the Marvel movies or comic books have had. People love to watch. They love to read about these superpowers that people have. Maybe there's one person missing in the picture on the screen. Sometimes people describe moms as superheroes, right? And on this Mother's Day, what a day to be thankful for all the great things that moms do. But even moms don't measure up to the greatest hero, the hero we really need. Spoiler alert about these superheroes. While it's fun to learn about their powers and the things that they can do, they're just pretend, but not Jesus. Jesus is truly the hero that we all need. Jesus truly defeated sin, death, and the devil in our place. Jesus loves us, and because he does, we have a place with him forever in heaven. You never have to doubt that big love of God. Those feats of strength that he accomplished to redeem you and me mean that we will live forever with him in heaven. We started with the question, where is your trust? Through Jesus, we can say with no uncertainty whatsoever, our trust is in Jesus, who has done everything to save us, and we know our future is secure. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.